0: Welcome, friends, to the Star Wars Universe podcast, and today we're talking about April 25th, 2014, a day that will live in infamy. For those of you who have no idea what I'm talking about, that is the day on which Disney announced that the Star Wars Extended Universe would no longer be canon. And this is a date that Star Wars fans have been talking about ever since, and today we're going to dive into that. We're going to be talking about the Star Wars Legends, the what used to be the Extended Universe We're talking about the stuff that has divided fans ever since, in terms of some fans still loving it and wishing that more of it was uh, happening on screen. A lot of folks who are loving the canon and don't really know much about this, and especially as we keep talking about on this podcast, a lot of that material is still officially no longer canon, but certainly seems to be showing up in what the on-screen stuff we're getting. We've referenced that a long time, but today we're actually going to talk about Legends, talk about what happened, talk about how Star Wars fans felt about it, and and talk about what's been happening going forward. We're doing that with Jonah Kelman and Rob McKenzie, and myself, Matthew Fox. All that right? more after this commercial break. We have no control over it. Welcome back. I'm joined, as I said, by Jonah Kelman and Rob McKenzie, Jonah, I've had you on a bunch to talk about Star Wars. Uh, Rob, I keep wanting to talk to you about Star Wars, and then I realized that I had missed a huge opportunity, because just the other week, I had you on my uh, superhero ethics podcast, and we were talking about the militarization of space and the way things being militarized can lead to problems, and I totally forgot to mention the way that the Jedi become militarized in the Clone Wars is a huge part of their downfall. So I had to get you on for Star Wars somehow, so here we
1: are. (laughs) Well, I mean, Star Wars has a lot of problems with it, so maybe we can Mm -hmm. fix some of them today?
0: Yeah, that sounds good. Sounds good. Uh, The three of us will probably be doing a podcast at some later point about how to fix the Jedi. So another, you know, small, light question to dive into. Uh, Jonah, good to have you back as always. Thanks. Happy to be here. Cool. Well, let's kind of just get started. and. We're going to kind of go into the Star Wars legends and all that and explain what it is more for for some fans who might not know much about it, uh, which was including myself for quite some time. But let me kind of just start and kind of get a sense of where you all are coming from. Talk a bit about, you know, what Star Wars, the the extended universe meant to you. And we'll talk more in detail, but just the kind of highlights of kind of what you felt uh, in 2014 and, and where you're feeling about it now.
1: Uh, do you Robin want to go j- first or uh, yeah sure i can go first uh so i read a ton of star wars novelizations which are the primary like heft of what people think about when they think of legends <laughs> stuff mm-hmm. and what when i was younger when i was in in high school i just devoured a ton of these books and i was so excited by them because i did all sorts of things That the movies didn't do. They introduced smart villains. They had like Timothy Zahn did a lot of good pacing, and they 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 used characters that I loved in ways that were more than just what the movies were doing. Mm -hmm. And I then watched. Uh, george lucas's movies and was vastly disappointed that they did not live up to like the dreams in my head after reading timothy's on and <laughs> after reading my- michael Stackpole. N- and just,
0: just to be clear do you mean the prequels or do you the mean prequels. you had actually okay you'd seen the original movies though
1: Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I I I've, oh, okay. I've watched new hope like a hundred times. Like
0: <laughs> I thought you meant those movies didn't live up to the No, point. no, no, <laughs> no, no, no. When George
1: Lucas came back from the dead because yes. something <laughs> happened to him in the intervening time. And so like the the prequels though, like I watched them and I'm like I like there were hints of really elaborate fascinating things in Timothy Zahn's books that I I'm certain that he got from Lucas or it was at the time that he uh, certain that he gotten from Lucas and the the movies weren't that. They were, they were aimed at somebody who wasn't me. And so I watched episode one, I watched episode two, and I'm like, like, I I watched episode one probably half a dozen times in the theater. You know, it hit me at the Mm -hmm. right time when I was, when I was a kid and I was, then episode two made me realize, I was like, this isn't, this, like, there's no body in episode two. It just, it fell really flat. And Mm. I was like, I don't. I can buy books from the authors that I want in this universe and not have to pay George Lucas any money because the movies are disappointing, but the books are good. And so I stopped i I haven't give I haven't paid for a piece of visual Star Wars media, uh, other than the fact that I have Disney Plus for other reasons mm. since Episode Two. Like I haven't okay. even watched Episode Three. <clears throat> uh, so it
0: wasn't so you because I, I knew you had jumped off the Star Wars bandwagon. i somehow thought that it was because of the. The canning the EU for you it actually goes even even
1: back further. Yeah, no, it, it goes back much further because I did it, because that it, my problem was actually that George Lucas, it, like he left himself a deliberate hole in order to like not conflict with other pieces of canon and then to do something interesting. And I wouldn't have minded if he went and deleted a bunch of canon, right? But because it's his universe and he's ultimately the the arbiter of what is and what isn't. And if other people like, if he had to fudge some stuff on other people, which he did on a bunch of things, then that's fine. Yeah, but that makes sense. Uh, that. It, my problem was just that the movies weren't weren't what I wanted. I don't yeah. want to say that they're bad movies. Um, there's lots of things in the prequels that are that are good, but mm-hmm. they weren't they weren't the thing that I was looking for. They weren't like they didn't have compelling villains. They didn't have like heroes the way that I wanted them to be, and they were they were small scale for no reason. Basically, mm-hmm. like why do you have to go back to Tatooine? Yeah. You have a whole universe. Can we go to Corellia? Can we go to any right. other planet anywhere? <laughs> right. it, it, uh, it,
0: I, I yeah. want to get you on to discuss the prequels, if nothing else, so I can get you to watch the third, which I think is the best of the three, but we can uh, rant uh, on that's, all the
1: prequels. That's, that's right here. <laughs> I'll
2: watch it with you. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like, we'll, Perfect. We'll, we'll do this together. All right. Jonah, what about yourself? So I was in a similar place. I read many of the novels when I was younger. Um, and then on the day of infamy, I realized I can read actually all of them because there is an end to them before they were printing them faster than i can read and so i went ahead Mm. and read all of them i think over the course of a little bit over a year and i've started to devour as much other content as i can video games comics that sort of thing right Uh, and it draws me in because there's just so much like rob was saying there's all these characters explored in different ways um One of my favorite books is Luke Skywalker and uh, Shadows of Mindor, which is like Mm. this dramatic comedy of some sort of like pseudo documentary of this Mm -hmm. mission that he goes on. And it's nothing like anything else in Star Wars. Um, There are books that are like based on Westerns. There are horror Star Wars books. There are all sorts of genres within Star Wars. But it's the same characters in the same world. And so I'm starting from this place of knowledge. And I really like building upon that foundation. Yeah.
0: But you have, to some extent, I, I think I and a couple others have had to drag you kicking and screaming into it. But you have caught up with some of the more recent stuff in the in the Star Wars canon, correct?
2: Yes. I've kept up with all of the movies. Uh, I've kept up with, I think, the major shows. Um, I haven't seen, like, Resistance. Mm. Um I have not read any of the new books, however. That's right. the only thing I haven't touched.
0: Makes sense. Makes sense. Well, okay. So I want to get into how we all feel about this and about you know all all the different parts of this situation, and, and especially with how the how those stories are becoming so relevant today. Which is, I have to say, one of the reasons why I'm going back and reading a lot of them is because of. The way they're kind of still playing out. You know, um, Jonah was talking to you and realizing that so much of the story of the Clone Wars TV show comes from the Republic Commando books, even though a lot of it's changed. You know, things that got me to read those books. Yeah. So there's just so many ways to, that I think, even for fans who have never seen these books, have not, are not interested in reading them, it's really an important discussion, I think, for all of us, because it's clearly affecting the canon we have today. Um, but let's first just talk about what Legends itself was, um, and, and also the kind of the context in which it's written. So my understanding is this includes like the first official one was the novelization of star Wars. That was uh, actually released six months before the movie came out. Um, but the first kind of you referenced uh, Rob, the Timothy Zahn books. And certainly that's the one that I think of as kind of starting the the main chapter of the extended universe going forward, which is his air to the empire series that was first published in 91.
1: Right. Uh, air to the empire felt like the next trilogy after the movies in a lot of ways. The the first thing that wasn't just a novelization of an existing movie was Splinter of the Mind's Eye, published in 1978, and I uh, that is a it's a very interesting book. It's a book, um, okay. yes. It's a, it's certainly a book. Um, <laughs> the, the author made choices. The the author uh, made choices, and he had access to scripts that were in deleted scenes that
2: didn't make it. Yeah, so the author was Alan Dean Foster, the same yes. author yeah. of the novelization of A New Hope. Yes. And I want to give Alan Dean Foster credit. I
1: like his work, and I like a lot of his stuff in general, and he wrote a lot of novelizations of things. It's not an incompetent book, it's just not, it doesn't match the rest of the tone and feeling of all the other Star Wars books. That's fair. Yeah. Uh,
2: Um, The Han Solo and Lando Calrissian adventures, which were also written in the late 70s and early 80s, do not match tonally at all. They don't match a lot of tech. It's very out there. Right. right.
0: I mean, we didn't know so much of what the tone was going to be.
2: Right. Well, and, uh, I I want to
1: say a lot of the tone is set by Timothy Zahn. Agree. And, and let's talk
0: about those books because th- th- those ones I did read. I remember it when I was in 1991, Um, I'm about like half a generation older than both of you. I think I'm uh, like eight to ten years older. Mm-hmm. So I was not quite a kid in the same way. I was starting high school when the Timothy Zahn book came out. And I remember – I found some of the writing a little hokey, but I was just, at that point, the idea of more movies was completely off my radar screen. So I felt like this was the only more Star Wars content I could get, and so I loved it and I gobbled it up, and I still think Thrawn may be, outside of the original movies, I think Thrawn is still the best character to have entered into the Star Wars lexicon from any any space.
1: It's it's possible that he doesn't have any real contenders um
2: uh, it, i think his only real competition is play on his second in command
1: or or <laughs> I, I suppose actually maybe marriage Aid would conceivably be competition as well marriage definitely the, up there right and so like you it, it, um basically what timothy zahn did was he took the original cast of characters and added in another set of compelling characters because you mm. need more characters in a book than will fit on screen in a movie right um like, if you work it backwards and you have a normal novelization and you move to a movie, oftentimes they'll combine characters together or cut characters entirely, because there's more space in a novel than in a movie. And so, he was like, I have space to make all these compelling characters, and then like, everybody else got to just use his compelling characters, which is one of the really interesting things about the Star Wars Legends canon. Mm. And so, people got to use Mara Jade, and people got to use Paleon, and I agree, Paleon's incredible. And, like, funnily enough, um, I would actually say the other other one then my next my next one would actually be wedge antilles,
2: oh, wedge oh. is fantastic
1: right uh, like right. It, it, but it, but wedge has like what five lines in the movies,
0: right,
2: yeah, something like that, <laughs> right,
0: yeah, I remember people asking me why some these are more casual fans, they asked me why were people so excited about wedge Antilles appearing in the uh one of the post-school movies, and I think it's because he was you know. The way I think fan fiction and, and extended universe type stuff can do, you know, you take a minor side character and you just blow him the hell up and make him a huge character. And Wedge, it seems, is like the the shining poster child of that. You know, someone who just, they took someone from the movies and in part because there was so little of his character in the movies, it was easy to kind of just write a whole set of stories around him. And you had so much more room to play with.
1: Right. And structurally, Wedge Antilles is actually a big damn hero. He's the only person with two Death Stars on the wing of his ship. Right, yeah, so fair. he's he's going to be somebody who's going to be important to the universe, regardless of anything else, um and because he's so is such a blank slate, but so important, you get to do whatever. Yeah,
0: and I think that blank slateness is an important thing to talk about here because certainly there's part of the Legends canon that tries to continue or give prequels to the story of the characters that we know and love, and you know the the Thrawn books, a lot of the other books about Luke Skywalker trying to rebuild. The Jedi or Leia trying to rebuild the Republic, but I think the my understanding is that while that's a significant part of the canon of the I'm sorry that's a significant part of Legends that you also then started to branch out into you know stories about the founding of the Sith and stories about the the Republic clones and stories about people who are either at a completely different time from the original movies or a totally different setting from the original movies, like below the radar screen. And so, because I, I think one of the problems I sometimes had was I loved reading about Thrawn, but when Han would say something in Timothy Zahn's voice, I was like, I don't know if Han would say that, you know, but once I'm reading about Darth Bane, like I've never seen Darth Bane. Talk about kind of how what what the role in the legends is of like the book not just the books that are continuation of the characters we know but really taking either characters like wedge who are kind of not really known or just completely new characters and running with it
2: as i said earlier like star wars has this foundation has the worlds that we know Corellia, Tatooine, coruscant and then builds on it and Mm -hmm. there are questions that are asked if you look at just the original series the original trilogy They mentioned the Clone Wars offhand, and we don't know anything about that until we go back and watch the prequels. But then the books can explore that in great depth. And when they mention the Rule of Two at the end of Phantom Menace, you're like, what's that? Where did that come from? Why have the Sith been gone for millennia? What happened with that? And the books can go and explore that. And I think we get more wild exploration in the prequel series because we don't know. We have questions of what happened in the past whereas Mm -hmm. in the sequel books it's a little bit more preordained we know that we have to deal with han and luke and leo because we want the answer we want to know what they're doing and then when they have kids we're like well obviously we're going to follow their kids because we want to know what they're doing because they're important (laughs) to us because of their connection to their parents right Uh, right and george lucas made uh, made a point which
1: i think that um the newer movies from the impressions that i've gotten have have both done and not done which is that star wars is fundamentally a family drama it's not really about big sweeping galactic events happening against a like a like a social pressure kind of thing it's about individual people right and like he he made that point very clearly in the prequels when you realize and you come to the conclusion that it's a like the prequels are like a dynastic struggle about a hereditary ruler of a planet versus like a trade federation. And mm-hmm. then those that same dynastic ruler carries through into being the their children are the protagonists of the of of the next of the original trilogy. And so it's just he wants to make tight personal stories in a really big backdrop. And I think that a lot of the strength of the legends canon is that they want to do exactly that the same Mm. exact kind of thing. And the best of the legends books are the ones that are, you know, Wedge Antilles gets, you know, however many books just about him, just for, because people like Wedge and Stackpole can write very well. Like,
0: (sighs) right. So you don't mean necessarily continuing that same family drama, but exploring other, like Darth Bane is about a specific Force user, yes. you know, and the people in his life, things like that. Yeah, I, I can totally understand that. Because I, I thought at first you were saying that like the best books were only the ones that conti- were, had like Luke and Han and Leia in them, and I was like, I I'm not sure that's true. But, I, I, uh,
1: yeah, no, but but you you talk specifically about how it follows, or uh, sorry, Jonah, you were talking about how it follows their children, right? Yeah, right. it, it, it's because we've we've learned to care about these particular tightly focused characters, even though they, the universe is huge. Right. There's so much space.
0: Right. And I think that's one of the things that was great about Legends, because I have not read all of it by any means. I've read maybe like 15, 20 percent of the book. I think I've read like uh, did what, a total of 156 books.
2: 47 uh, Legends canon novels by my reckoning.
0: Okay. I've read about 25. So I've read like maybe 12%, 14%. But I've I've certainly done a lot of research on them and talked to a lot of people about them. And one thing I think is fascinating is that the extended universe is so big that you do get to have people who love all of that. You know, that there are people who all they want is more Luke and Leia and their kids and other people who want just great characters, whoever they are. And then, you know, I found posts and posts and posts from people who what they wanted was just to know What's the history of the Jedi? You know, what's the history of the Sith? What's the, where did all this stuff come from? You know, what's the history of the Republic? And it's kind of amazing when you think about it, that there's huge range of books. You could let all these different authors say, find one piece of this giant puzzle that you love and build a whole new thing around that one piece.
2: Yeah. And I think part of it, like we're talking about individual characters and authors can be like, I like this character. And I have this idea. The author of the Legends canon, Kenobi, was like, I want to write a Western. And so they went to Tatooine, and the humans on the planet are the settlers, the Tusken Raiders are the native stand-in, and Obi-Wan Kenobi, shortly after Revenge of the Sith, is your white hat cowboy who comes in. The new sheriff in town, right? Right. A little bit of Stranger, and it's just so cool that we have a Western.
0: Yeah, and and I think that book is a perfect example of what we're talking about, because, you know, I love that book, and one of the things that it does is it takes the Tuscans, the the Sand People, as they're derivatively known, who really are just, like, kind of mindless antagonists for most of the books, for most of the movies. Let's let's be
1: honest. They're not even characters. They're a
0: prop. (laughs) They're, They're either, like, antagonists or then they're victims in the prequels. And the book gave them such a rich history and a story. And also, as you you said, Jonah made it very clear, like, they are a native people who are being colonized and oppressed, you know. And I'm very much on the train of—I think we're getting a lot of indications that the Kenobi TV show is going to be very largely based in the world that 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 book created. So, you know, I think it's great things there.
2: Uh, Let's—go ahead. To expand on that, one of the things that's great about it is you read that book and you're like, oh, the Tuscan Raiders are actually people. Cool. And then you go back and read any other book, even ones that were written without that in mind, and it hits differently. Watching yeah. the scenes in Attack of the Clones or New Hope where they are Tusken Raiders, you're like, wait, these are people, they have this culture, and it becomes something greater because of that other piece of media that's connected to it, even though they're not actually dependent on each other. Right. Right.
1: And what what they're doing in a lot of ways is taking tiny little bits, like – Almost every line in New, New Hope is quotable. Tusken Raiders f- ride single file to hide their numbers. How does Ben Kenobi know this, right? <laughs> and you unpack an entire fractal universe of books inside like a single sentence.
0: Right. They still have not explained why he says only stormtroopers are that accurate with blasters. But, you know, we'll put that one aside for the moment. <laughs> <laughs> um, I will also say for people who are wondering about the specific Kenobi book now, um, it is a great book and... As part of our coverage, once we know the release date of the Kenobi TV show that's coming, uh, I will make sure that we do a book club episode, hopefully with one or both of you, since you both seem to be big fans of the book. Uh, so we'll be able to talk about that. So that even... I, I would definitely recommend reading it. But even if you don't, you can hear the, hear that podcast and kind of know about it as we go into that TV show. Um, but let's kind of move on and turn talk setting the framework for the uh, the books, the, the the EU. What kind of oversight did it have? Because clearly most of us may have thought that no more movies were coming at least i I certainly didn't i'm not sure what you all thought but that was i think the general conceit of most people at that time and lucas seemed to still want to do the prequels though at least and he's i think i understand that he didn't allow anyone to write stuff about that period before you know anakin's background or anything like that because he wanted to tell that story but beyond that what kind of oversight did he have um a lot of these books you know kind of give a lot of indications about what the Jedi were like or what the clones were like or what the Republic was like or how the Force works. Um, what what oversight did uh, Lucas and Lucas's people have for that?
2: I'm not entirely certain on the specifics. Um. Mm-hmm. So uh, I, I actually
1: did a bunch of reading on this today because I, oh, it, like, I saw that this was – this. Uh, so George Lucas um, carved off a chunk of time. And he told basically his the the Lucasfilm people, I want to do stuff in this time period. Um, if you want to do books, don't do books in this time period. And they and they said, well, you can set things after the movies. You just can't do anything before. And he had some consultation with Timothy Zahn. Um, the fact that Coruscant is a is a um, a city girdling planet, an ecumenopolis, is mm-hmm. uh. Based on George Lucas saying that that's what he wanted for it.
0: Which I just want to point out was always to me a great Legends moment in that when they redid the original movies, and I hate those, Han shot first, we all know that. Agreed. <laughs> and also they got rid of Yubnub, but what they replaced Yubnub with was a shot on cortisant. And I don't think they ever like flash on the screen that it's Cortesant. and the word Cortesant had never appeared in any movie. Right. And yet the books were so well known that they could put it in that movie when they redid it, which I just thought was like, okay, that's the books affecting the movies. I love it.
1: it. Right. And so he he set limits and Timothy Zahn checked on certain things that he was allowed to do or not do. Uh, so, mm. for instance, he wanted to introduce the Sith as a species, and he said, can I put a group of, like, fallen renegade Sith assassins in? And he got a no. And so he mm. made the Nog cry instead. Yeah. Um, and so, they it, basically, George Lucas set bounds, and they had to check on any big stuff. Um, I have... You are not, uh, not allowed to play FMK with Luke Skywalker. Uh, it took a <laughs> long time before they let Luke Skywalker get into a relationship. Right. Right? Because, like because you weren't allowed to kill any of the main characters unless you got explicit permission you weren't allowed to get them in and out of relationships uh like you basically they were they had to be fairly static so they could, like, couldn't break up right and um they could get married and in fact they got married in two different books but <laughs> um the it, which is part of the thing with the legends canon, which will I mean, you can speak to that probably a lot more than me, Jonah. But <laughs> yeah, um, it, so they it, like they it, he set up basically blocked off. You're not allowed to touch this. You're not allowed to touch that. And then he gave ideas of certain things and he gave timelines of like when things were going to happen. But then he felt free to ignore those. Right. Right. And so Timothy Zahn gave a timeline for the Clone War, or like dates for the for Clone Wars events in in his books. And then George Lucas is just like, ah, you're off by a decade yeah
0: (laughs) well and i think that's really interesting especially because in terms of the topics we talk about on this show one of the areas where i feel like the extended universe novels most throw me now when i read them because i know the kind of you know the clone wars and the prequels movie stories uh more is so much of those movies are and the entire fall of anakin are and 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 all that 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 story is based around two main conceits one of which is Jedi are not supposed to have attachments because it can like get in the way of them being a Jedi, and also that the Jedi Order is deeply problematic. And, and granted, that's one that has only been slowly, slowly explored, and really was more explored in the in the postquels, But certainly a lot of it comes up in the even in the Clone Wars, which is pre-Disney. And so when I go back and read Thrawn, and I'm like, oh yeah, here's Luke. He in the original Thrawn book, him and Mara Jade don't do anything, but it's clear that like. She's being introduced as a romantic interest down the road, you know, and I know that at a later point they do get married, and he basically tries to rebuild the Jedi kind of as they were. Um, and I know that that that's a more complicated question, but I, I just want to kind of the, the question I'm trying to get at for you too is to kind of talk about both this idea of like Jedi getting married and and like whether the Jedi were flawed or not in specific, but also then to take that a little more general to this to me is like one of the best examples of where. Lucas, like, let something happen in the EU and then in the and then in his own version was like, eh, no, we're going to totally change that. And I'm just kind of curious, like, if there's other really big ones as well that you see.
2: I mean, I don't see that as a huge narrative flaw because Luke wasn't raised by Jedi. He Nobody told him, you're not supposed to have relationships. He was mostly set to figure out the philosophy himself. Right. right. Uh, and so he went for positive emotions that made him feel good, do good things, uh, mitzvot more or less. And so mm-hmm. I don't think it's uh, any sort of gap in the narrative there right
1: right i i actually argue that in some ways it makes some of the some of the lucas going and making the jedi problematic better because yeah. what mm. uh, what luke was uh, he was given a clean slate yoda uh, the, the rest of the jedi were deleted yoda like fed him a pack of wars not make one great and then sent him off into the universe and he's like right. oh so i have these high-minded ideals and i'm not an idiot so i'm going to try to implement them and then you realize that that all that crap that Yoda fed him apparently was a pack of lies, <laughs> mm, right?
0: Okay, I didn't realize that that because I haven't gotten further enough into the into Luke's story in the EU. So I'm glad to know that that actually that those do line up well. Uh, um,
1: they they well, really don't. Like, okay, <laughs> well, if they sort of do. Jonah, you you should speak to that more because I haven't read as far in basically as you have.
2: I mean, I think Luke does get to the point, uh, and we're skipping down through or outlined a little bit, in the New Jedi Order 30 or 40 years after battle. Right. Often, there's another massive galactic war, and the Jedi are once again brought forward as warriors. And I think this might be better suited to our conversation about Jedi, but um, there are questions about where do Jedi fit in the war, and I think Luke has better answers than the Jedi of the Clone Wars era.
0: I mean, certainly in the Republic Commando books, which are part of the EU, and I, my understanding is they, were, they started being published before the Clone Wars TV show started. So I imagine there had to be some kind of correlation there if, if Lucas had kind of cut off a lot of ties that, you know, had, had blocked off that time beforehand. And in those books, the Jedi are, by the end, pretty much the antagonists. And we have, we're mostly hearing about how, from the clones' perspective, the, the Jedi are tyrannical bastards.
2: Yeah, I mean, so with the later extended universe content, it did get a lot more oversight. The New Jedi Mm -hmm. Order is a 19-book series written by, I think, a dozen different authors, and each of those (laughs) authors was told, this is the part of the story you're telling, this is what happened before. Like, in this book, this character falls to the dark side, so you have to deal with that because this person, like, Aaron Alston made this person fall to the dark side, your problem now, and it's everybody else's problem until they die. The first book, uh, written by R.A. Salvatore, uh, mm-hmm. Lucas went to him and said, Here's a list of, like, ten characters. They're all major, major characters. Pick one of them and kill them to set the stakes. Um, and we have a couple other longer series, a couple nine-book series set written by three authors. Right. Uh, and all of those are mapped out by the Lucas group. Mm-hmm. and i think we got a little bit of that with the prequel content as well that was happening at the same time just not any massive five or ten year spanning story arcs because the clone wars was limited to three years right
0: it's kind of a war not clone wars but you know that's a another but listen to my podcasts about the prequels because i rant <laughs> about that a lot um uh but so i guess you i think you kind of already answered this it sounds like Overall, the Legends canon, the Legends EU, there is somewhat of a coherent narrative, but there are definitely some stories, like, as you said, the wedding happens in two different ways and things like that.
2: Yeah. Um, I mean, the first probably decade, decade and a half, I'd say first decade of Legends canon novels had relatively little oversight. The authors Mm -hmm. did most of their checking, like they would read it. They would read the other books, and they're like, yeah, this seems right. I haven't missed anything, I think. Check it out, editors. And the editors would be like, yeah, this doesn't trigger any memories that I have. We're good to go. And then we have Han and Leia getting married, I think, in both Tatooine Ghost and the courtship of Princess Leia. Is that correct? Yeah,
1: that, that sounds correct to me. Um, and Both it, great books. Yeah, but they're... They tell very different stories. Yes. <laughs> uh, and, I... Yeah.
0: I'm going to question the title of The Courtship of Princess Leia, because I think that book happened on Hoth and Cloud City, and I saw it in Empire Strikes Back, but yeah, moving on anyway.
1: Well, no, 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 The Courtship of Princess Leia is about Leia deciding that, you know, despite all all the redemption in the previous books, Han is still a smuggler, and he doesn't have anything to bring to a pairing, and so he has to, like,
2: win a planet, and it's... I don't know if she decides it, or if, like, it's... We need somebody who has a storied background, and the people of the Yeah. New Republic yep. want somebody with a title, and then C3PO is like, technically, Han is a king. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh. So
0: let me let me last ask this. And <clears throat> one of the things that I've really found I enjoyed about diving more into Star Wars content is Rob, like you, I don't like the prequels at all. I feel like the Clone Wars TV show and then Rebels made the movie is much, much better, as did Rogue One and Last Jedi, but that, that's a whole other story. So I've come to appreciate them a lot more, uh, especially the first and the third. I do think the second is just absolute hot garbage. but And I still think the one one is pretty bad, don't get me wrong. But one of the things that I've, I've really enjoyed about getting to know more Star Wars fans, especially of all sorts of different generations, is getting to hear why a lot of people do love those movies. And for a lot of them, it, it is because they grew up with them. And you know, I know I grew up watching the original movies, and I think they are fantastic. I think they're still some of the best Star Wars content ever put out there, some of the best space opera content ever put out there. But the fact that I fell in love with them when I was six probably had something to do with that. Right. Um, where I'm going with all this is, and not to put either of you two kind of on blast, but just kind of getting a general sense, what age do you think most of the Legends EU was written to? Because part of the sense I've always gotten is that a lot of fans my age are older, not all by any means didn't connect to the books quite as much as did the people who were kids when the, you know, just like the the people who were kids when the the prequels were coming out really fell in love with them, that my my sense is that these books are mostly, were, if you were between like eight and 15 when these books were coming out, then you were probably gonna really love them. Is that a fair statement, you think? Or do you think I'm totally I, off
1: base there? It depends on the book. That's mostly
2: fair. I would go as high as 18.
1: Mm-hmm. That's fair.
2: Yeah, um, middle school to early college. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So maybe 20. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, because the a lot of them, like, so the, the New Jedi Order books, for instance, or the Jedi Academy trilogy is a, is a really good example. The Jedi Academy trilogy, I tried to go back and reread it, and I was like, man, I really don't like Kevin J. Anderson's writing very much. I remember loving these, though. Like, mm-hmm. I remember enjoying them a ton the first time I read them. All of the characters in it are, like, between the ages of 15 and 25 oh boy <laughs> and so uh except for corin horn i think is older
2: mm-hmm. was and... he in the like was he may he? have shown up first i don't think he was he was retconned in in i jedi but was right. never named in the actual trilogy right which happens yeah, in yeah. the space of like three pages in i jedi love right. that by the way i i have commentary
1: on i jedi i definitely like read about half of it and was like wow and i was in high school and i read anything and i was like <laughs> wow it was it was the worst star wars book i'd ever read and uh it i don't know if it still holds that crown but mm. have you read Ruins of dantooine no i haven't should <laughs> okay. i should i should i displace i jedi by reading Ruins of dantooine
0: I, i'm just gonna point out that there's a fantastic uh podcast out there that's going to go kind of book by book reviewing the reviewing all of the different uh legends books and so this conversation might be better had for that especially because one of you is the host of that podcast <laughs> hello uh, we're talking about uh jonah's podcast the archives are incomplete definitely check that out it's a great podcast um but okay so let's get back to um let, let's get back to the the idea of the legends and what happened let's talk about that day of infamy um this is my understanding and, and well actually one my like uh if you can tell it without too much editorializing, so we'll editorialize in a moment, what is it that happened leading up to and and, and, be, and on that day in April in, the, in 2014? Why, why is it something that matters?
1: Do you want to talk about this, Jonah? Uh,
2: sure, I can <laughs> take it. Um, because so...
1: I, I'm going to be opinionated and cranky. and okay, so <laughs> let's,
2: let's start with you. Let's start with you, and then I'll... Well, Reiterate I, everything you said and say I just agree. Okay. Why
0: don't I? Why don't I try to tell the story and then the editorializing can. Be okay, good. okay. Sure. Okay. So my understanding was that, um, you know, after the prequels, especially, uh, not doing very well, Lucas had a whole bunch of feelings about Dis- about Star Wars. You know, he really loved the vision that he had of the prequels, and I can imagine it was very hard to go through having them be ripped apart the way that they were. You know, it's kind of hard to be told that you're wrong at your own. Vision, even though I think he is, but that's a whole other story. <laughs> and through whatever, you know, however much it was him wanting to just walk away from it versus him wanting to cash in, you know, no one knows, but he wound up selling the rights to Disney uh, in two th- uh, around around in the early two th- 2010s. Uh, and this was when the, the idea of the Disney media empire was really starting to emerge. This was when kind of four years, five years into the MCU project, and that was really kind of taking shape and kicking off. Um, You know, uh, Disney, uh, Disney was acquiring a lot more media stuff. And so they acquired Star Wars. And there was all this, and one of the things they said was that they were going to start making new movies again, which had people super excited, especially because I think that they hinted, or maybe even outright had said, that they were going to do movies in that time after Star Wars, which, of course, as we said, is when the Timothy Zahn and so many of the other books were set. And so I think a lot of excitement had started to build. And then they announced that the entire extended universe was now going to be referred to as legends because they wanted to honor those stories and keep those stories around but that they were not going to be canon and that going forward they were not going to feel tied to those stories in any way um is that a fair representation of the facts before we begin a discussion of our feelings on those facts
2: more or less yeah more or less yeah
0: okay <laughs> uh we will now turn from the journalistic page to the editorial page. Mr. McKenzie, you have the floor.
1: Um, I, I want to go back in time a little bit to before the, sure. the before the Disney announcement. Um, they announced that they were. I, I want to go to a different a different fandom, um, and they announced that they were doing a set of Star Trek movies that were going to recast the original cast. And I was hesitant, and then I saw that they had an incredibly good cast. I was yeah. completely sold just on Zachary Quinto as Spock. Right he's the he is perfect and uh, they they cast a bunch of really excellent people the casting in the in the new star trek movies was really really good my problem isn't with the casting my problem is that they gave creative control to jj J. abrams mhm uh jj abrams elected to delete their canon in canon right and he, so he actually unwound the entirety of the majority of filmed star trek um at the time by uh, by uh, by having time travel delete the entire timeline basically making such a fundamental change that none of the television shows except for the original series would work and in fact the original series didn't even work right Right. and so i was very unhappy with this i believe that jj abrams had very little regard for the people that had spent their lives building a, a a piece of collaborative media right
0: yeah i i think of the original star the original jj abrams star wars movie is to me star trek perfectly accept. yeah sorry wait, let me say that the star trek movie that jj J. abrams did the first one he did is to me a perfectly acceptable space battle movie when you want to watch a space battle movie that has zero connection to anything star trek
1: ever. right um and i was unhappy with this Mm-hmm. and the opinion of a lot of people at the time was that he was doing this basically as a as a demo reel as an application to take over Star Wars which is what he actually wanted to do and yeah. then he was given Star Wars and i said why would you do this and jj J. abrams was announced as the director of a new Star Wars movie and then they announced the removal of all canon or of all oh, the book canon
0: i was wondering what the time order there is and that cuz I, I was thinking oh, wait didn't jj J. abrams come in afterwards but no that but that's very the important the
1: force then. the force awakens Air, or was released in December 2015. there's no way that you wouldn't announce your director because yeah. the, the, the movie films for two years right mm-hmm. and so they they knew JJ Abrams was going to be in charge he had to write the script a couple of years before right and the they said they, they said new Star Wars, new movies JJ Abrams is in charge everything you love is deleted And I was like, I, I can't say that I couldn't see this coming it happened to the last fandom that I enjoyed that JJ Abrams touched and I was I was a, a bit irate but I had already decided not to give George Lucas money and I said this doesn't change my decisions this is great you've reinforced that I, I shouldn't <laughs> I shouldn't give money to the people that make these movies
0: that's fair and it's funny because I didn't know that part of the history and for me as someone who had read the ten of these on books and even by 2014 I went back it was funny, I would every now and then go back and pick up the Timothy Zahn books, and I would read all the parts about Thrawn and the Empire, and just skip any chapter that involved Luke or Han or Leia or Rondo. Because I just, like, <laughs> that wasn't them to me. Like, I, I felt Timothy Zahn was writing interesting characters, but they just weren't them, you know? And, I, I as, thought his landing was better
1: than the one in the movie, but
0: yeah. I mean, that's possible. I, I just have never enjoyed, um, for the most part, If I if I get to love a character on screen, it's hard for me to then later read about that character on page if it didn't start on the page. Um but that's my personal preference, putting that aside. So and I hadn't realized this and it it's funny because I have had all sorts of anger about JJ Abrams and I've expressed that many times on this podcast. Not for anything having to do with with the legends question, although now I'll I'll add that to the list. Um, it's funny because I used to think that getting rid of the Legends wasn't a problem. You're kind to think that the way it happened was kind of bad, right. for sure. But my point was just one of the things that J.J. Abrams did, I mean, going all the way to, back to Lost, is he loves the idea of writing something that has questions and then giving it to the next person and be like, you figure it out, uh, which is, I, I think Ryan Johnson had a brilliant vision for what Star Wars was. I think J.J. J. Abrams had a nowhere near as good vision, but I think... If you had three movies where J.J. Abrams had explained to everyone what his ideas were by the end, it would have been much better. If Ryan Johnson had done all three, it would have been done much better. But that one of the things that's the worst about those movies is that tr- basically two completely different visions clashing. And so hearing that, like he was probably a part of being like, "Hey guys, how about we just get rid of the whole EU so I can tell my own story?"
2: <sighs> yeah, <laughs> I have feelings. Whoa, and we so, haven't
1: even gotten into Jonas' feelings. I'm excited.
2: Yeah, You're, I'm going to surprise you. When I heard Disney had acquired the rights to Star Wars, I hadn't heard anything about J.J. Abrams, and I wasn't huge into Star Trek. So I'd seen those movies and been like, this doesn't mm-hmm. seem like Star Trek, but there's the spaceship and all the names are right, so that's good. Um, and so I heard Disney acquired it, and a year or two earlier, they had done the Avengers and... As somebody who is interested in the Marvel comics but had never really read them, I was like, "These seem like good quality movies." There's a chance. There's a chance that I will enjoy these movies. Mm. And then, like a week later, they're like, "By the way, there is no world in which we will respect any of the things you like." And I'm like, "Ah, <laughs> yeah."
1: Well, I-, I can see that causing feelings. <laughs> in, 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 so i I have done a non-trivial amount of time reading Star Trek novels as well, right? Mm-hmm. And Star Trek, very early on, made essentially the same decision. Um, but they made it in the reverse timeline. Very early on, Star Trek said, write novels. We don't care. We will not respect them as canon. There's two canons. There is the uh, there is the television show, and that's ultimate authoritative canon. There's the movies right. that are part of that. Anything that goes on a screen, it wins. Um, and then there's the novels. Do whatever you want. We don't care. Like there's a there's a novel called Spock Must Die where th- they make a time they make a weird reversed duplicate of Spock and then they have to play assassination games with them. Like it doesn't matter, right? It's people playing with the characters in the universe. Right.
0: It, it's officially published fan fiction.
1: For right. All and purposes Right. And, and there's like um there's some really really good novels and they I, I'm not angry at Star, yeah. at Star Trek for having this stance. They they produced wonderful glorious novels as a result of this, but they didn't. Their their novels aren't aren't like in in star in Star Wars. They had like the 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 New Jedi Order had like you were saying. I, I took a glance at the list of authors and it's in, impossible, right? That that did this, Jonah. You were you were right. Like how do you how do you if you're Walter John Williams coming in twelve books in what what do you do? But they had a they had a single plan and continuity for all of this. Which yeah. is a ton of work. right? And, the, and then they came through afterwards and said, basically, we don't actually care about any of the work that you've done to support the things that we do, to support the world that
2: we're all working in, right? Mm. And the worst part, the worst part is that they're telling the same stories. Just yes. worse. Yes. Just worse. Like, the Han Solo movie? Not everybody's favorite movie, the Han Solo books, one of my favorite series. They're great. The, the story about Jin Erso could have been about Bria Theron. Same yep. exact freaking character. Yep. Oh,
0: Fair. And I'll say, I oh. mean, that's one where, like, I don't, I'm not doubting your perspective at all. I think generso and Rogue One is one of the, Rogue One might oh. be my favorite Star Wars movie. Like, I think it's fantastic. Um, Absolutely. But I think, it, I think it's important to be able to have both sides of that. Like, But also knowing, like, I, I didn't know that it was taken somewhat from a uh, an EU novel, you know? And I, I kind of, in some ways, that's one of the worst parts, is I feel like, here, I, I'm going to put a pin on this, actually, let, let you guys keep talking. I, I have a whole theory about how they could have handled uh, legends that would have that, that connects a lot more to another property we know and love, but I'll, I'll get to that in a second. You guys well, go on more about your kind of feelings uh,
1: about it. Well, because there's a way to to actually make the the fans, the people who are most invested happy. Is you do what Star Trek did, you say, that's a parallel canon. The movies right. might delete or override or change things. That's fine. You can do your own canon stuff in the books. They're going to be great. We will enjoy them. And then every time you lift a story, you credit the author of the novels.
2: Right. Yep. That well, would have helped tons. Right, and because oh,
1: good. Yeah, because I wouldn't be angry if they said we're going to make you know episode we're going to make episode ten, and episode ten is going to be called the Rise of Thrawn, and uh, Timothy Zahn Please. has been brought on as consultant, and right. we are basing this on the Thrawn novels and whatever. Right? Cool. Well, so I,
0: actually, I think I'm just going to jump into the the theory that I was going to put out uh, now because it's so relevant. With the three of us, we jump all over the outlines anyway. Who cares? Yeah. Um, <laughs> our outlines are definitely not canon, <laughs> um, but. I think there's a great example of a series of film and TV properties where they have a written canon that they haven't decanonized, but they've also said that their versions are going to be inspired by and often taken from those. And they'll try to, like, make sure people know who wrote the stuff they're talking about, but that they're not going to feel completely tied to it and what they put on screen. And what I'm talking about here is in the MCU. Yeah. what the MCU has done with the comic books, where – Yes, you always do get some comic book fans who just are complete purists and want everything to be exactly as it was on the page. And I think there are some who are legitimately like just absolutely love the comic books. I think most of them, from what I can tell, it's because, you know, the women don't have boobs that would not survive gravity uh, the way they do in the comics on the screen. Or, you know, that there's gasp black people and and women uh, doing cool things that they weren't doing on on the page. But putting aside my bias there... And it's part of also why I wanted you guys to come on, because I think that's a lot of people's impression of the people who are like Legends was better, was it's, it, you know, the folks who are like, oh, you know, I hate Jin, she, or I hate Ray she's not as good as Luke, for all the sexist nonsense. I think that's people's thought about the Legends canon. And so I wanted you guys to give a different perspective to that. But putting even all of that aside, I feel like that could have been a way to do it. You know, treat the EU like comic books. Treat them as like, yes, we're going to do our own versions of these stories, But, hey, are you falling in love with the Clone Wars TV shows? Read these books, you know? Do you love the fact that Thrawn is now in the Rebels TV show? Let's go back to the Timothy Zahn books. It's not exact. It's not the same story. But it's clearly very much taken from those and inspired by those. And Star Wars is getting so much better about doing that. So many more of the stories are Legends-inspired. And, yeah, I feel like they... Like, for me, I'm not someone who wishes they had done Legends instead. But I feel like they really shot themselves in the foot, and I have more about that, but I want to go start here. Like, what do you think of this idea of, like, if they treated it kind of like the way the MCU treated comic books, that that might have been a different way to go?
2: Absolutely. Um, I think drawing from the stories and being like, yep, this is the general storyline we're following would have been great. The other thing that I think would have been great that's tangential to that is just occasional name dropping when you need a planet- Use one that's mentioned in the novels. If, when you need a character, if you need a cocky pilot, just go with Broar Jace or Corin Horn. They're wonderful cocky pilots from the Extended Canon. And if that had been, if Poe Dameron had been Broar Jace, I would have loved The Force Awakens. Like, right. all you have to do is be like, we respect the previous work. Instead of saying, we need to sell new merchandise. Right.
0: Well, and let's get into the commerce question of it for a bit, because I, I, I do wonder how much that's an issue. Um, you know, from a producing standpoint, I imagine their thought is the, if we use that name, we have to pay the person who came up with that name, and and this makes me wonder: Do you all know? Because I certainly hope that they they're doing some of this, but I'm not sure. Like, does Timothy Zahn get any money for the fact that Thrawn is now a major character in Rebels and might become a major on-screen character? Like, right. are what what's happening? Who owns? Them? I mean, I'm sure Disney owns all those characters, and that's in the contract. The the artists, the um. The writers uh, signed, which, by the way, is very much treating it like comic books. Um, Mm -hmm. But do you know at all, like, have have the Legends people been getting compensated at all, or at least getting recognized as their work is appearing more (laughs) and more in canon?
2: Do you have any actual knowledge? Yeah, um, I can't name dates or anything, but there has been for a very, very long time a campaign to Disney to pay the authors, uh, the creators of Legends canon, are not mm. getting paid for anything. Right. It's possible that Zahn is getting paid for something now because his character is being used, but when they copy and paste the story enough times and run it through the copy machine that it looks fuzzy enough, you're like, you can't tell the difference between these characters. And Those it, authors mm. aren't getting paid. Right, and even, so the, these are 100% works for
1: hire, right? Mm. Like, they the the standard kind of contracts, and I know this because I looked at Weiss and Heckman's contract for Dragonlance when they got completely, like, hosed by Wizards of the Coast. I went and looked at the Mm -hmm. contract that they entered. Weiss and Heckman wrote the original Dragonlance novels, and they are ten times more popular writing Dragonlance novels than any other author that writes in that universe, which is another different shared universe similar to this, with a a single canon with some fuzziness, right? Um, So it's very, very comparable um they're 10 times more popular than any other author they went back to write new trilogy in dragonlance and they had to ask permission to use all of the characters and they had to pay wizards of the coast in order to be able to do so Mm -hmm. i find it very very unlikely that uh, that timothy zahn has any ownership stake whatsoever in a single character that he made for star wars
2: right
0: and i will say that um Zon himself has now uh, been paid to do work in the canon. Like there are yes. books that he's yes. written that are canon. So at least there's like – and it's because they brought back Thrawn as a as a character. So at least – I feel like at least they're doing that. But yeah, it does sound like there's but, so much more that should be done they're that they're going to do not because there's so much being inspired clearly.
1: Like I, the only reason that if I was Timothy Zahn, I'd do that is because it it's a giant paycheck. Like yeah. it, Like frankly, they're going to do the same thing again. They've demonstrated that they don't care. As a as a company as an organization, right? They they aren't going to treat this respectfully because they definitely didn't treat it respectfully, right? And well, yeah, go ahead, finish your thought. Well, and so Timothy's on getting another work for higher paycheck. He Mm -hmm. I don't even know if he like even odds on his initial contract even would have gotten residuals on the on the books. They might have just said, "Here's you know, we're going to pay you to live for three years and write us books," which is probably actually a winning deal for him, frankly
0: right well and there i do want to push back on you a little bit because as as kind of brought up with you, one of the other main things we talked about i know you haven't seen seen a lot of the new stuff it does feel like they are doing a lot more to honor a lot of that legends canon in uh the more recent stories you know and and of course like i mean the timothy's on story is not being told and it's again one of my biggest frustrations of the uh Post because I thought the whole story about like how do you hold a new republic together when people are used to, you know, when people are used to fascism, giving them cor- you know, all the problems of democracy does not always work well. But putting right. that part aside, you know, Thrawn has become a major character in canon. Darth Bane has been acknowledged in canon a number of times. A lot of these stories are, you know, a lot of things in Rebels are references with often outright direct names from uh from the canon stuff. And so, uh Jonah, I'm I'm kind of curious, you know, I, I don't want you to play referee between Rob and I here, but kind of what what's your thought on how those things are or are not getting honored by uh the canon stuff that we're starting to see on screen.
2: I think the instant they handed the reins to John Favreau and Dave Filoni, everything became amazing. Um mm. Fair. if you're watching the Clone Wars, when they say, Dave Filoni, you can take over this, I think it was in like season five, the yeah. show just skyrocketed. It went from like this kid's show to something that it doesn't quite rival Avatar, which Dave Filoni was also a part of. But <laughs> season seven is some of the best animated TV that I've seen. Um, oh, yeah.
0: I mean, the, we've. Ta- I'm on record, I think so are you, that the lightsaber battle at the end of season seven in Clone Wars is, I think, the best lightsaber battle I've ever seen in any huh. format.
2: Possibly the best fight scene I've ever seen. It's yeah. like top five easily. Um, better than the, clima- the So I I haven't seen this show,
1: and I want. Have you both seen the uh, animated series, uh, the Justice League animated series from the early two thousands? I have. Not.
2: I have. Yeah.
1: Okay. So this is this is better than the than the fight scene at the end of the climax with the world made of cardboard speech from Superman.
0: I didn't say it's the best fight, but I said it's the best lightsaber battle. So that you Fair. have to get Jonah to sit down and watch that. Fair. Um- Someone should need to, like, okay, fans, you need to pay for me, Jonah, and Rob to get an Airbnb, pay for all of our food, and we'll just watch all the things that <laughs> some of us have watched and, and the others
1: have
0: um, Also, then explain it to all of our partners and, and our jobs. But we'll, we'll, we'll get to all that down the road.
1: Oh, I have um, so much time off because I haven't been able to go anywhere for the last year. You want me to
2: take a week? Let's do it.
1: Tangent alert. Tangent <laughs> alert. So,
2: so, going back to where I was, um, yeah. if you look at The Mandalorian. That is a love letter to traditional Star Wars. Um,
0: yes, very much it,
2: so. It doesn't... It is almost all characters that don't matter to the main storyline. Like, I think the we have Boba Fett and Ahsoka and everybody else is from this story alone. Mm. Um, and yet it feels like Star Wars. It is... Yeah. I mean, it's a space western inspired by Japanese film. Um, and... And go it goes to, so
0: much into the history of the, the Mandalorians, which had been talked about so much in the EU.
2: Love them. But it yeah. like goes to worlds we've been to before. We see Tatooine. But it also goes to new worlds that are connected. And the worlds have purpose. They're not just a backdrop, but they're a place that has a culture and a community of people. You can understand them. Mm-hmm. Um, I, and I think... it feels respectful of everything that's come before it. When they brought back certain characters, you're just like, This fits. This isn't just a nod. This is a salute.
0: For me, one of my defining memories of watching Mandalorian is after every episode, uh, texting you, Jonah, and being like, okay, well, they said that Mandalorians do this and this. How, is that from the can- from the <laughs> legends? And I was talking about how often it was, or sometimes it was a change, or sometimes it felt like it was an offshoot, but that would still fit into the EU. And I just, uh, even before you'd watch the show, I remember loving those conversations because it was, that I think uh, really... I'm not sure how many other fans can say this, but, or because of the directions I went, I'm not saying that I think it inspired a huge number of people, but, like, I read a lot more books about the Mandalorians because of that show, you you know, including the Republic Commando books, because it just felt like it really showed me so much of that world from Legends that I wanted to, to dive more into.
2: Yeah, and, like, the Clone Wars and Rebels, the thing that they do best is they just hearken back to other... Content, other media, which is what I loved about the Legends canon novels. Mm.
0: That makes sense. So we kind of got off on on onto that tangent there a bit. um Because uh, Rob, I know you haven't seen those, you can't really comment one or the other. But I, I think, in some ways, I can also very much understand your suspicion about it because I think, for me, it's interesting. Rob, you and I went in two totally different directions after the prequels. You were like, "Well, forget about these movies. I'm going to dive into the books." I sort of was like, you know what, the original three movies were great. I don't, nothing else is going to come close, so why bother, you know? And I think it, that may have been part of what turned me away from the, the a lot of the legend stuff for a long time is is the prequels were just so bad and so disappointing. Um, and, and so yeah, it's interesting to me, like people can have so many different reactions to it. And uh, I guess this is the next question I wanted to ask: Star Wars often gets accused of having one of the most toxic fan bases, and I I I don't think this is true. I think that every fan base has a share of toxic fans who are often quite a minority, but a very, very loud one uh, in really awful ways. And a lot of time that has more to do with the way sites are moderated than with the actual fans. But but certainly there is a lot of anger in the Star Wars fandom. Do you think that, And again, not to blame one side or another, but do you think that some of this can be traced to like how many different directions and disappointments there have been in terms of fans who are really... Disappointed by the prequels, or who loved the prequels, but then loved the EU, and then hated when the EU went away. Do you think there's a connection there?
2: Nah. Yeah. <laughs> I... uh, Go ahead, Jonah. Y- you can never make everybody happy. Uh, mm-hmm. One of the designers from World of Warcraft was like, if we mailed everybody 100 gold in-game, some people would complain that it was not enough or that it was too much. Like, I worked hard for my money. Like, well, there's no way to make everybody happy.
1: Well, it, it would it would change the economy. Suddenly all, suddenly all these people would buy up all of this stuff and change the price of their regions and whatever. And, yeah, exactly. We're talking so, here about
0: World of Warcraft. I assume you're not making an argument against raising the minimum wage. Just to be clear, right, so I don't get angry at right. about that. But anyway, Please do. Yeah.
2: But, like... If you didn't create the prequel series, there'd be a bunch of people who are like, why do we only hear about Luke and Leia? What about this Clone War stuff? And if you don't have these new movies, I have so many friends who are not nearly as invested as I am, who are like, these new movies are great. I love Kylo Ren. And I'm like, please, why do you do this to me? <laughs> why? Yeah. And and I judge them silently, but I'm like, you know what? You like Star Wars. That is more than enough for me. I am happy for you. Right.
1: Yeah. And my take is actually that this is this is like a cognitive bias. Basically, Uh, Mm -hmm. Star Wars is so popular and so well known. It's one of the biggest franchises in the world that everyone has an opinion. And you only go and post on, you know, YouTube videos or Twitter threads or record podcasts when you have a strong opinion. Right. And so the people who are like, oh, that movie was fine. That don't Mm -hmm. like that are like, sure, I'll watch another Star Wars movie uh that's a good way to spend some spend an afternoon or right. and then or like yeah whatever they they check their their Star Wars care at the door and leave aren't mm-hmm. going to be the ones who go post you know right. things and so or
0: or even the super fan i mean it's, it's been well documented that when people love something they don't have an urge to go post about it in the same way they do if they hate something like right. and I, you know all stuff about yeah. you know what the algorithms reward and human psychology and stuff but that that's way beyond fandom
1: right and yeah, so exactly. So people who are angry about something are going to post more. There's a lot more people in, that are involved because Star Wars is so big, and they've made such a wide swath of decisions. It's not a obsessively controlled one person runs the show for the whole show kind of thing. Babylon Five does not have the same kind of you know scatter shot. Uh, everybody writes whatever and leaves open questions for the next person kind of stuff going on because it was controlled by one showrunner from start to finish, right? Right.
0: right. That being said, I guarantee you we're going to get a lot of people with very strong opinions when the new Babylon 5 comes out. Oh, but yeah, for I sure. I also totally agree with you. <laughs> <laughs> well, so, so let's turn to Legends itself because I think we've talked about a lot of the issues around it and kind of all different parts uh, and, and, and we've talked a lot about kind of the role that it is playing today. What are some of the key stories you you'd want people to know about from from Star Wars, especially if they're influencing the story today? But even if they're not, um, we've talked a lot about Thrawn, and I actually did a whole book club episode on the the Timothy's on Thrawn books. But let's let, uh, let's talk actually about the New Jedi Order in in Legends. What happens with the Jedi after uh the fall of Palpatine?
2: Okay, I'll take this one. Yes, so, nice light question. <laughs> after the Battle of Endor, we have a period in which the New Republic is trying to get on its feet uh, and establish itself as an actual government within the galaxy. That takes about 20 or 30 years and covers Thrawn and several other Imperial Remnant officers trying to stop the Republic from becoming a Republic. After that, once they've got everything settled and they're stable and everything's happy, we have an extragalactic threat. Uh, the Yuuzhan Vong who are coming mm. from outside the galaxy or so it appears. And they present a huge problem, cut a huge swath through the galaxy and the New Republic and the Imperial Remnant and literally everybody. The Huts, everybody has to work together to defeat this threat. Mm. That's the 19 book New Jedi Order series. However, of course, this being a war and following the Jedi pretty closely, we realize once again the Jedi are not particularly well suited for war. The following series, we have a nine-book series, which is The Fate of the Jedi, and then another nine-book series, The Legacy of the Mm Fourths, both of which are written by three authors each, so a Mm -hmm. total of six authors across them, telling a cohesive story. Um, One of them details the fall of a prominent Jedi to the dark side, and the rise of what appears to be a new empire. He's defeated at the end of the series, because that's what happens. Um... And then we have the exploration of what happens if the whole time there was a planet full of Sith that was just off in the middle of the galaxy that nobody ever paid attention to or went to or had any communication with (laughs) because we didn't know it existed. And now there are thousands of Sith within the galaxy to match the thousands of Jedi. Mm. And that's where the canon ends. And what's really sad is that they have the legacy comics, not to be confused with Legends... Which is roughly 160 years after that, where they're like, this is the state of the galaxy and the Sith are here and the Jedi are here and this is what the Republic's doing and this is what the Empire is doing. And so there was a vague idea at Lucas for the jump between 40 years after the Battle of Yavin to 200 years after the Battle of Yavin. And they were going to explore that space and I wanted to see that happen. So that's post-Battle of Yavin.
0: That makes sense, and so yeah, it sounds like it's very interesting that the way they're exploring these questions of you know uh, let me back up again and so in these Jedi order books like that's where we get uh you know uh Luke rebuilding things and then his two children uh who in, in I'm reading like the one first child
2: book. yeah
0: no uh, I'm sorry han Han and Leia's two kids I mean three.
2: they have three
1: <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, yes. Anyway, I'm,
0: Averages I'm the two. I'm bad at math. Who knows that. Yes, they they have an average of two. Uh, um, Anakin has four grandchildren. That's what matters. Um, and so that uh, uh, that really goes deep into the um the Star Wars the the Jedi story. So how do these all connect? Like, is Wedge Antilles is the battle is the Wedge Antilles books only about his work during like the the Galactic Civil War, and then Thrawn, or do we get to see Wedge fighting the um, the Yuzhan Vong? Like, how how do like all these other characters tie into these things?
2: So, by the time we're at the New Jedi Order, this was coming out in the um, early 2000s. early two thousands, and so that means we have all these books, and they are absolutely referenced. Wedge Antilles isn't a prominent character in every single book, but in a couple, he's very important. Right. Um, the two of my favorite books in the New Jedi Order series. Are written by Aaron Alston, who wrote the Wraith Squadron trilogy. There's, the which, Wraith Squadron is so good. Sorry, I love them. And if you haven't read the New Jedi Order and you liked Wraith Squadron, reading the New Jedi Order nineteen books is worth it for the two in the middle written by him. In my okay. opinion,
1: <laughs> well, and, and he, it, like these aren't doorstops, so yeah, okay, right? You got me um, back. You got me back on my bullshit. So, <laughs> like,
2: they're wonderful brain candy, um, and it introduces. He does a great thing with my favorite character, Jaina Solo, who is the daughter of Han and Leia. She mm-hmm. is far and away my favorite character in Star Wars. Mm. Uh, and Aaron Alston does amazing things with her character and her relationship with the Wraiths and with Wedge. Um, nice. We have some books about Wedge's feelings when the Republic begins to turn more autocratic and he's just like you know i remember shooting people like you with my starfighter (laughs) and the senators are like well we're we're part of the republic and he's like are you though yeah and it's lovely and we get to see wedge for 20 years now he's not the character in every book but he does continue to appear and so do all these other characters and you're just like oh i'm rewarded for my investment right yeah um,
1: I want to I want to talk about timelines a little bit too, really quick. Publishing, uh, notably, so we talked a little bit about the the time frame of like when pre like pre Timothy Zahn books were published. Uh, you can basically break it up into like decades, right? From there, um, the from the from um, the Timothy Zahn books were basically published in the 90s, and that included all of the immediate post Endor things, all mm-hmm. of the all of the like republic building stuff the x-wing books before we get to the new jedi order like the the nobody knows what they're doing and they're trying to build a build up, you know a republic from scratch stuff is all that is all in the 90s and then the new jedi order is basically the 2000s um with a little bit of random stuff at the end and then the um the republic commando and legacy of the force stuff is all uh like This is more compressed than I thought, though. So, yeah, yeah, the first half of the 2000s are all New Jedi Order, and the second half is all Legacy of the Force and Fate of the Jedi.
2: Yeah, Um, I was doing the math, and with the first major novel coming out in 91, and the last one coming out in, like, 2014 or 2013, it's, like, six or seven Star Wars novels a year. Right.
1: Right. Yeah, that's that's the other thing, is, like, like, if I wanted to keep up with the time I could have, like, reading a book a month is not—on top of my other reading load is not unreasonable, but, like— Uh, like it just gets to a point where it's a lot
0: and of course it it wasn't just i mean the novels are the main part of it but i know like you know the darth Revan story comes primarily from video games and yeah like i i actually realized i connected to a part of the legends canon uh the legend the extended universe way before Timothy's on because i played the star wars role-playing game where you know to build a role-playing world that you the way like you can you know in D and D, buy books about like different you know planes of existence or different like realms you can go to. You can also buy you know the book of droids in which they give you the stats for every droid that you could ever imagine, and you you know the stats for twenty thousand different kind of starfighters that weren't seen in the movies. So yeah, there's so much of that building everywhere.
1: Right. Um, and, and the one thing to note is that they tiered their cannons, and they could have just continued to do this. They could be publishing Legends novels right now is the other yep. is the other half of this argument is they could have just said we're fissioning the canon there is movie there's movie and TV canon there are there's book canon and the never the twain shall meet uh sorry guys uh, but there's actually a third tier of canon video games and role playing games are the third tier they mm-hmm. they are the under canon basically of right. like where they can be contradicted by the books the books win if the movies contradict the books the movies win yeah. and then, I would have loved that Right. Oh, it, even
0: even there they're continuing to have some influence because if uh, the TV show The Bad Batch, you went to a you went to a planet that was featured in the in the video game Fallen Order and the scenes were shot for shot recre- like shot for shot recreations sometimes of the exact backgrounds and and, and and world looks and stuff like that.
1: Right. Exactly. Well, and then they also did some very weird stuff. They tried to release one thing through multiple media at the same time. Uh, so, like, then they released a weird multimedia thing where they released the same story in multiple medias at the same time. They released a video game and a book and a comic. Shadows mm-hmm. of the Empire had all of this. Nice. And so it was, it, like, they've done a lot of strange, like, multi-level yeah. canon yeah. stuff already.
2: Yeah. They kind of did that again with The Force Unleashed, mm-hmm. uh, which I played on the Wii. And then later I read the novel and I was like, this is just describing the game that I played. There's nothing <laughs> yeah. else to this book. It's just... Go here, follow the path.
0: I would be happy with... But to me, if you're going to put plot into a video game, and I, I talked about this a lot on the uh, episode we did just on Fallen Order, so I don't want to go too deep it, but I'm a big believer that if you're going to have plot in a video game, the video game has to have a story mode that you don't need to have good button-pressing skills to get to learn the story. Um, So yeah, novelizing it would have been great for me because that video right. game was so hard. But uh, pulling us back on topic somewhat... Let's kind of go now the other direction because, especially after the Clone War, after you know Timothy Zahn was doing all of his stuff, and a lot of those books came out before the prequels, pre prequels. Mm -hmm. Once the prequels come out, and now uh, George has gotten to say, "Here's my vision of it." Now you get to play in the sandbox. Even before then, but especially then, now we start to get so many more books about going back in time and the Darth Bane books and things like that. Um, talk a bit about the, the some of the main key points that come out of those
2: books. Alright, so there aren't actually too many that are from long before the Republic and the modern era. There are only about 10 that are thousands of years before. And we talk a little bit about the founding of the Jedi 25,000 years before everything else, which has absolute, they use metal swords instead of lightsabers. Wow. Um <laughs> But then we talk about Darth Bane, who was formative to the Rule of Two, which is what the modern set follow. But from there, we jump pretty quickly to the Clone Wars itself, the pre-war era of the shenanigans of Palpatine. Machinations, that's what I meant. They're yeah. pretty much the same thing, yeah. but with different vibes. Yeah, <laughs> um, less brooms. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then we have the Clone Wars, which is honestly my favorite era to read.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: because it asks so many questions of the Jedi. They're like, what makes the Jedi think that they're good? Let's toss them into a war zone and see them answer difficult moral questions and then have mental breakdowns because they realize their philosophy isn't all-encompassing.
0: Yeah. I, I think that that that's a great way to put it, because, again, this is, was discussed on earlier episodes, but I think one of the biggest problems with the prequel movies is they they tried to make those movies for an even younger audience than the original ones, while talking about issues that were far more morally complex than the original movies. And it just didn't work. And one of the reasons why I love those Legend Canon books so much is because they do take on those... You know, they let the Jedi be the bad guys. They let us see the clone perspective, at least, of why the Jedi are terrible. They let us see why some people join the Separatists, you know, which is something the movies never explain in the slightest. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's wonderful that they can go into that kind of depth that the, the, the movies never did.
2: Like, one of the books has... Count Duku as a Jedi before he has turned, and he's just talking about his philosophy. And you're like, "Huh? Yeah. You make very good points. I can understand why you left the Republic and betrayed the Jedi."
0: Yeah, especially because you get to see the earlier versions of Darth Sidious and then Darth plagius before him, like manipulating Duku, but in the very subtle ways. You know, of yes, just, that it is stuff Duku believed himself. Um. Well, and you you brought up also. I'm jumping around here a little bit because we're getting to the end of our time, and I want to um start wrapping up but you've also brought up one question I wanted to ask about legends. Um because you at least acknowledged that at least in 36,000 years technology hasn't always been the same. Because yes. one of the things I did find hard to hard to get into about the Darth Bane books and some of the other books set way in the past is that they have hyperspace and they have lightsabers and they have blasters and Coruscant is basically the same. Um is this a star is this ever like discussed in Star Wars that technology has kind of been frozen for the last however many thousands of years, or is it just because that's kind of a general conceit of fantasy and 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 huge scale
2: sci-fi? Nowhere that I've read do they mention it once. Sometimes they're like, hey, those are the ships that were used during the old republic three thousand years ago. Those might be the same exact vessels. And you're like, oh no. Oh god.
1: <laughs>
2: uh, but yeah, they don't really Lampshade it even, okay. yeah. It well
1: part of it is, and I would contend that Star Wars, as much as we're calling it science fiction, isn't actually science fiction. Oh yeah, it's science, correct. Yeah, it's it's science fantasy at best. Um, it is it, it is ba- fundamentally backwards looking. Um, in that you know the these great people did this things in the in the past, and we we have to live up to the to the levels of the past, and there's no like potential for a big changed future, right? Right. Um, and As much as they have big war struggles and stuff, it's, yeah, it's just, yeah, there just isn't, and Timothy Zahn did the most, again, we're going to go back to Timothy Zahn. Timothy Zahn introduced a whole pile of new technologies Mm -hmm. to Star Wars that just didn't exist before. He was like, I need the ability to trap ships because hyperspace sucks. So he introduced interdictor cruisers that could stop things from going in and out of hyperspace. no, no yeah and no other author has been i don't know if they haven't been allowed to do that or if they were like they were too locked into their their plots or like Mm -hmm. it just very little like that has ever been touched again timothy zahn was basically given the ability to to do whatever he wanted and he's like i'm writing some fanfic with my own technology in it
0: (laughs) although yeah, he he actually gave a very different version of cloning that i kind of wish that they'd stayed with
1: oh man the, the, the the cloning puzzle in that that Thrawn unravels is beautiful. Like, it's a really yeah. elegant plot point.
0: But I will say, though, that even in those books, he talks about them, but they're not introduced as new technology. And I know at least yeah. Interdictor cruisers have been now referenced in books that were set hundreds of years before then.
1: Right. Um, and the, that so, oh, that actually, in some ways, makes Thrawn a more impressive character because everybody else has had them for hundreds of years and they're all idiots about their usage. Yeah.
2: <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Oh, I love Thrawn. Right.
0: Yeah. He. He... he, he no... Yeah, no, definitely. Thrawn is, is such a good character and I'm I'm very nervous, but also very excited to potentially get to see him in live action. Um I do want to start wrapping up. Uh clearly, uh the three of us, it's really hard for us to find a way to talk about these things, but I'm gonna I think we're gonna have to have both you on again at some because just there's so much more to unpack with all these stories. But is there any other kind of I'm now going to ask you to do in five minutes what you could probably do a three-hour rant about at a restaurant or a bar. But is there any other last thing, just one thing, about this general topic that you wanted to to bring up?
2: Rob, I'll let you go first. Yeah.
1: (laughs) So um, my fundamental thing is just that authors get to play in these playgrounds. They're they're like given permission to do so, and they do these fascinating, wonderful things. And it doesn't take much to just give them their own playground, right? Yeah. Uh, we we could like I was saying, we could have more legends novels. They could have just said we're we're fissioning the canon. Um, everything there is still canon. We will make novels and things based on them. And it, I would have enjoyed that. Um, yeah. They didn't they didn't have to end it basically.
0: That makes sense. Jonah?
2: I think for me, I the point that I want to end on is I'm actually relatively optimistic about the content going forward. I think mm. that the mainline content, if they come out with another Skywalker trilogy, I'm not going to enjoy that. That's not for me. Yeah. But I'm the TV shows, I've been loving the TV shows. I'm excited to get to the books when I have the time to do that. The stories that they've been telling with these individual characters have been great. I like that they're experimenting with visions. And while there was a several-year period where it was like, everything is terrible, turns out a lot of these people are really good at what they do, and they're telling really fun stories. And so as long as you enjoy some part of Star Wars, you're doing it right.
0: I think that's a great way to put it, and I'm really excited to hear both of you, especially Jonah, uh, as you keep watching things, and have you keep coming back to talk about the new content as it comes out, which we'll hopefully be getting a lot of starting at the end of this year. One of the things I was going to just say, though, is this is another example, but we keep talking about this as fan fiction, and of course this is all uh, intentional fan fiction. It's all like officially licensed, and generally when we talk about fan fiction, what we mean is stuff that isn't licensed, and so people are just doing it for love. They're not doing it to get uh, money out of it. But especially in the last like, you know, 10, 15 years or so, even 20 years, with the internet, fan fiction has become so ubiquitous. One of the things I'm really struck by is fandoms where in some cases where either because they disagree with things that the author did or because the author themselves have become terrible or just they want more like entirely new understandings of of the worlds and characters have been developed through fan fiction and um my my personal favorite example of this is uh the Harry Potter books where even before we knew that J.K. Rowling had you know was a horrible terrible person in in so many ways we also knew that you know she she'd basically screwed up Slytherin like a whole bunch of Fans, myself included, sort of felt like she never made sense of the Slytherin house. And so there have been incredible fan fictions written that I wish could be published because they they feel like they're such a great... And, and when I talk to Harry Potter fans, those are generally almost considered canon by most people now, you know, because of the directions they go. And I like that Star Wars is continuing to support official publications and things like that. And I love the... Um, like, I think the High Republic books and some of the other canon novels that have come out are fantastic. And I really look forward to Jonah, and if you read them too, Rob, uh, your thoughts on them, because they seem very into the the questions we're always talking about with the Jedi. But I just, um, you know, sort of fans, if you know of great fanfic that goes into these kind of stuff, uh, I would love to hear about it. But I just want to say that that's like, as we're talking about the different ways these things could be handled, that's just one other I wanted to bring up.
1: Yep. Fanfic is wonderful.
0: I think that's where we're going to end it. So... Uh, Jonah, I've mentioned a couple times, but tell us about the new podcast you just started.
2: Yeah, so just a couple of weeks ago, I released the first episode of The Archives Are Incomplete. I'm going to be going through all 147 Legend Canons novels in chronological order, talking about the philosophies in there, the plot, how they tie into other pieces of media, both other novels, the movies, shows, and that sort of thing. I've been having a blast, and I'd love to have you there. You can find me wherever podcasts can be found. Cool.
0: Yeah, it's... I'm really enjoying those podcasts Um, you're doing what I try to do with the book clubs but I think you're doing it even better which is you are making it that so that people who if you love the books can really enjoy it but even if you've never read the books you totally understand what's going on you give a great summary and you make it pretty clear like here's a book you should read and here's one that I'm going to tell you about because you can skip it Um, which
2: I really appreciate so yep we have a couple of those (laughs)
0: Definitely check that out. I'll have a link in the show notes. Uh, Rob, I know you've become sort of a social media hermit. Um, so is there anywhere you want people to bother you or should
1: we just let you live under your rock? Uh, you can let me live under my rock. It's fine. It, like, I'm <laughs> I'm in the Stranded Panda uh, Facebook group now. I have been lurking there. So... If there's comments on this, I will respond. But. Great,
0: great. we will love to have you there. Uh, thank you both so much for being part of this. To all our fans, as always, thank you. Uh, check out this podcast. Check out the Superhero Ethics podcast. I'm now on the Marvel Movie Minute talking about Thor. And, of course, talk about and of course, check out all the other great podcasts on Stranded Panda. If you've got feedback, thoughts, we'd love to hear them. You can send all that to us at theethicalpanda at gmail.com. Or looking for us at theethicalpanda on Facebook or Twitter. Or just go into the website, theethicalpanda.com. There you'll find all the websites that I've been a par- There you'll find all the podcasts I've been a part of. And uh, also all the ways to contact me. So uh, please let us know what you think. I would love to hear from people who love the books. I would love to hear, you know, even if you are 100% a hater of the new stuff. If you love the books and you love the way they're being referenced. If you've never heard of the books before or never paid attention. would love to hear your thoughts on this. Please write in. Let us know. The fan interaction is what makes this really worthwhile. So thank you all so much. And have a great day.